Epistle of John, starting in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. He's speaking of Jesus. He said, we were with him. We touched, we felt, we walked. For life was manifested and we have seen it. We bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested unto us. He doesn't even give an introduction. He just launches into a sermon. John just starts preaching. And he says, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Christ Jesus and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which you have heard of him and declare unto you that God is, watch out, it doesn't say love, somebody say light. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If you're a Bible reader, you're starting to see that this looks a lot like the gospel of John. He's got a literary style. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not have the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is so great. You guys ready? He is faithful. Somebody say faithful. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. One last verse starting in chapter 3. Behold what manner of, somebody say love, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew not him. As we kick off in this true love series, I believe that God is going to speak to us and you got your daily chapter reading already done at church. Can I get an amen from somebody? We just read the Bible together. If you believe God's going to speak to us this February, if you believe love is in the air, why don't you just pray with me right now? Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Lord, you are so gracious and so kind. You have given love so pure and so real that we can be set free from sin and we can live in the freedom that you have bought because of the love which was shown to us through Christ Jesus. And today, we accept that love. We open our hearts to that love and we embrace the light that it came in and we declare that Jesus is able to set free every captive from whatever they might be in, in the name of Jesus we declare it and if you believe it put your hands together one more time amen look at your neighbor and say I love you man and you can be seated <laughs> I begin today with a story that I'm reading that is a little bit of an adaptation from a Tim Keller book you'll probably enjoy this and pick up on maybe the reasons why I read it pretty quickly. Think about, if you will, a man who is a raw and tough warrior living centuries ago in England. This man who is known for his toughness and his battle scars has two major feelings and emotions stirring on the inside of him. One is the desire to fight and to hurt those people who disrespect him, his tribe, and his countrymen. 
He really feels like this is just who he is and his culture honors him for being that warrior and that defender of his country. He receives accolades and honors for pillaging and defending and fighting. Yet there is another feeling, the feeling of being sexually attracted to other men. He keeps that part of himself hidden. And he thinks, no way, I can't be like that. So he lives his life trying to ignore those feelings. Now, fast forward to our modern day. And picture, if you will, in the 21st century, a young man in Manhattan, in New York City. He feels the same exact two strong feelings on the inside. He deals with anger and he desires to fight when he feels disrespected. And he feels attracted to other men. He will react completely differently, though, because of the hundreds of years between them. When he feels angry and aggressive, he thinks, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be violent. And then he tries to get help to control it. But when he feels attracted to other men, he thinks, yeah, that's just who I am. That's just a part of my identity. And he accepts it. In fact, not only does he accept it, but much like the man hundreds of years before him in his violence, this young man in modern day is celebrated, is loved, is given accolades for this part of himself. The point of this story this afternoon is to illustrate that one's culture shapes their worldview. That your culture has a major impact on the way that you view the world and thus the way that you view yourself. And may I also say to you that our worldview often shapes our theology. Even unintentionally, we will superimpose our worldview onto God and into His Word, twisting it and changing it. We know that this is true because. Even researchers agree that in this postmodern day, the modern thought has influenced Christian theology in a number of ways, but maybe a few that currently would be impactful for us is that this modern ideology, it challenges the idea of absolute truth. It emphasizes relativity of truth and critiques grand narratives that would say that if it was true then, it's true now. The idea of truth is now subjective and relative. And even in our postmodern ideals, we promote self-discovery as the ultimate path to fulfillment. Find out who you are. It is, in many ways, what I have heard called the idolatry of identity. It's redefined freedom for us. And when we think of freedom... We think of a life that's unchained from others' ideas, opinions, and even laws. This has led to many scriptures in this word being reinterpreted or considered irrelevant and thrown out altogether. We understand that this is an age-old problem because of books like John, 1 John, the letter of John. 
When we see this book, a lot of times we get lost and don't even realize why he's writing what he's writing because we miss the historical narrative. Can I give you just a few points today that I think if you'll lean in and listen, you will actually find absolutely interesting but also applicable to the church today. May I do so? John wrote this book in a day and time where the Christian church had existed for some decades and now the church had moved from Jerusalem to a place called Ephesus. And John is writing this letter as a circular letter. It is to be read across house churches because the majority of churches in Ephesus were not in any other places than in houses. But what's happening to this network of house churches is it's gone into turmoil because of a modern day thought that has infused itself and attached it to Christian theology. What we know is maybe Gnosticism, maybe you've heard that. Essentially what that means is Greek thought, the modern day, and you know how philosophical that day was there when we start getting uh, people like Socrates and ancient Greek philosophers. That same Gnosticism had attached itself to the church's ideology and this heresy, this false belief had actually infiltrated this network of house churches in Ephesus and it was called docetism. Now this is going to be crazy because you and I are going to hear this and go, what, what does that have to do with us? Just, just listen to what they were beginning to believe because watch at the very beginning, what does John say? He launches into a sermon and he says, we have felt him. We have seen him. We've heard him speak. We know that he is real. And if you're just reading your Bible at night, you're like, okay, John, looks like you're pretty defensive about something. What is going on? He was defensive because what was happening, happening was docetism was a Greek ideology that had infused with Christianity that said that Jesus never had a real human body, that Jesus was a ghostly figure. This is true. That's what they were believing, that he was this ethereal figure that you could kind of put your hand through, but he was not really flesh. There's a reason they believe this, Kevin. The reason that they believed this was because the Greek ideology of that day was that flesh was the unreal experience. And now this is hard for us to grasp. Materialism was the unreal or fake experience, and the only reality was the spirit world. Which if you think about mythology and if you think about Greek thought, that makes a lot of sense. Now that's hard for us to grasp because think of what the last couple of thousands of years have done to modern thought. We believe the exact opposite in our modern day. We, we come into a culture that's very material, materialistic, not in the idea that we want more, but materialistic in that we believe that the only reality oftentimes is what you can feel, touch, taste, see for yourself, and that the spirit realm is sort of fake or not real, or if it is real, you can't really know it. Flip that on its head, and that's exactly what these believers were being challenged with. They did not believe that Jesus was a real body. In fact, there were some crazy ideas that were floating around. And so John jumps in, and he writes a letter to the churches, and he says, enough is enough. I felt the flesh of Christ. I was there, and I want to defend the gospel and let you know that that real flesh died on a real cross and brought us a real redemption. And so he's correcting something. The reason that we bring this up today is because we are well aware that if modern ideals could infiltrate the word of God in the first century church and begin to cause heresy and wrong ideals, 
then we also are susceptible to attaching our own philosophies and ideas to the word of God and coming out with something that is not truth at all. And that is why in the very first chapter that we read together, before John says God is love, before John in chapter 3 launches into the idea that we have been called the sons and daughters of God, here's what he says. God is light. God, what does that mean? Is truth. In fact, if you look at this and you compare it to the first chapter of John's gospel, he says something very similar. He says that the light came in form of human flesh, Christ Jesus, and the darkness comprehended it not. And what does he say about Jesus? He says this, it was the word in flesh. It was the very truth of God dwelling among us. And when we saw him, we were like those that were in a dark room and the light shines in and our eyes cannot handle the brightness of the light of truth. And yet he looks and he says, in the midst of that, it is the light that will deliver us. It is the truth that will set us free. Which brings me to the first principle and point of this sermon today when we open up and we talk about true love. And that That is this, true love is always true. True love always speaks truth. True love is always true light. God loves us enough that he tells us the truth. God loves us so much that he wants us to be free. He wants us to live a life of true freedom. But the scripture gives us this principle that there's only one thing that will set us free. It's not an identity. It's not a self-discovery. It is not us pursuing our deepest ambition and desire. All of those things will turn up empty. The only thing that sets us free is truth. The truth will set you free. And in this room today, you may have walked in your first time and you expected a preacher to stand behind a pulpit and to give a little comforting sermon. I hope that this comforts you today. But the truth of the matter is, if somebody loves you, they're not going to lie to you. I love you and I'm not going to lie to you. As a Preacher, I can't stand up here and preach any false doctrine. I can't take the word of God and manipulate it and twist it in order for it to be something that modern day ideology can mix itself with. And if I'm not willing to do that, how much more is the God of truth who is completely true looking at us and saying, hey, I love you so much that I'm going to shine a light in the dark parts of your life. I'm going to illuminate what is false so that you can be set free in this room today, I'm here to tell somebody that there's true freedom. I'm here to tell you that there is true love. You've got a true love in this room. That's what this series is about. But before you have a true love that just feels good, you've got a true love that shines a light on the darkest parts of our lives. When we come to him, we come to him knowing that God has already seen the brokenness, that God already knows where I fall short, and he is saying, I'm going to shine a light on some things that maybe even you didn't know there, but when he shines a light on them, they can come back into order and they can be made whole again. 
The Bible says from Genesis 1, at the very beginning, that the world was in darkness and it was chaotic. It was without form and void. There was no light. And then what happened? God spoke. And when he spoke, what was chaos now comes into order. The true light of God's word speaks into the chaotic, broken, sinful life. And yes, it may be uncomfortable, but the discomfort that you are experiencing is God taking the chaos of addiction and brokenness and sin and shame and bringing it back into order. Why? So that you can live a life free from all of the bondage and the brokenness. You want to know what true love looks like, it looks like freedom. It looks like somebody who can stand in the freedom of God's word. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not interested in fusing my ideology. John looked, he said, we cannot take the ideologies of this world and infuse them with God's truth and expect for it to come out. In fact, when you go to chapter 2, he opens up and he says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And may I say to you, one thing I love about the truth that John preaches in his gospel, in his epistles, and in Revelation is that when John talked about God and he talked about Christ, he talked about them as they were one in the same. Because they are. The Bible says that when we get to heaven, according to Revelation, that there will be one on the throne. Who is it? The Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. When you have seen Jesus, you have seen the image of the eternal Father. That is the truth of the gospel. Now that I'm done with that rabbit trail, let's get back to it. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the world. John connects the light of God to the gospel. He connects the fact that God would shine on us. And, and, and that being the evidence of true love. You want to know what true love is? Somebody who will be honest with you. And that is, not, that is not popular in this day and time. The fact of the matter is we live in a day where we would often rather people lie to us and make us feel better. But Proverbs says, I believe it's Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You ever been around somebody? Now, I, I, I think you got to tell the truth in love. And there's times where somebody can weaponize truth and weaponize empathy. I'm not talking about weaponizing the truth, and that's not what God is doing. But if somebody will help me see the truth in my life, they are a friend. And it may be sore, it may be painful, but if you love me, you'll tell me the truth. If you, the Bible says that the parent that loves their child, you ready for this? Spares not the rod. Oh, that's old school. Come on, how old are you? Eighty-seven. Devin Acres, my lord. We just got a bishop up in here. Yeah, spares not the rod. That's not just talking about if you love your kids, you will physically uh, discipline them. 
The spirit of that scripture is the parent that cares about their child is involved in disciplinary action, shining light on the mistakes and the problems and the behaviors that don't need to be affirmed. Likewise, we have a good father who loves us and is willing to open up his word and say, listen, you want to know why you're experiencing that deep and dark place that you're in? It is not just because I've sent some spiritual season. A lot of times we over-spiritualize the seasons that we are in and say, well, it just must be that God wants me here. What if it isn't God's reason or problem that you're where you're at? What if it is that your life is out of order? What if it is that my priorities have gotten out of whack and the reason that I feel so frustrated and tired and like I'm hitting up against a wall, spiritually speaking, is not because God has done something to me, but because I am in the darkness somewhere in my life. You know what we would need to pray then is, Lord, let your light so shine in my heart because I don't want to stay in this place of darkness. I'm ready to come out and walk in the pure light of God. May I also say, though, to us, I know I'm preachy right now, but you can't preach on the light and not be preachy. Can I also say that we oftentimes... Instead of looking at the darkness within us, because we all have places that God's light can shine deeper and in a more real way. We talk about the light and the darkness only in context to the world and God's truth, or the world and the church. And what we can do is sometimes we'll kind of wiggle our way out of there being darkness on the inside of us and go, well, John is just talking about the darkness of the world. Listen, listen, it's deeper than that. There's something within me. And even when John does talk about or the Bible does talk about the darkness of the world, it does not speak of it in some way that we are fighting against philosophies. I want you to hear me right now. One of the pitfalls of the modern day church is that it will grow itself by preaching politics. It will grow itself by scratching the back of philosophies and aligning itself with a a political ideal or a philosophical ideal. And what happens is people get fired up because that sounds like the truth or there's truth to it. But the fact of the matter is we are not fighting. Paul said it very clearly. We are not fighting against philosophies of man. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. But every high thing, and he's talking about powers, princes of darkness. He's talking about principalities. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm saying that the church is actually fighting spiritual warfare. That when we talk about truth, we're not talking about our truth. We're not talking about Devin Aker's truth. We're not talking about Stello Church's truth. We're saying that the truth of God's word is actually fighting against the lie of the enemy's kingdom. And there are multiple manifestations of what that looks like. But what the mistake can be is the church starts fighting a political war. Or something happens in our world that's a social problem. And we jump on every bandwagon in order to appear or appease what looks like looks like truth. But the fact of the matter is, we need to try to remember that we are at odds with a system of beliefs far more than we are at war with a group of people. We are at odds with a system of beliefs, not a group of people. Contemporary people are the victims of the late modern mind. The people that you walk with, the people that you know at work, the people that you go to school with, 
They're not the problem, they're the victims. And when you begin to see people in our world who are in darkness as not being the problem, but being the victims of the problem, empathy and compassion begins to come out of you and I. And can I just remind you that there is an antidote to their problem. It is the gospel. It is the truth. It is true love found in the true word of God. And then you know what we'll start to do? We'll start to see this more of a prison break than as a battle. I, I, I go out every day and I've got truth that God has given me from his word. Not that I've made up. And there are people who are chained in darkness, chained in ideologies, chained in modern philosophies, chained in cornered in political uh, platforms that have caused them to have a them versus us mentality. And it's nothing but hate. Do you feel the hate in the world? It's not love. In fact, if you look at any social war that is being waged right now, most often, no matter how true the social justice warrior may cry out, their philosophy is often based on hating another group. Well, we're here to free such and such. We're here to liberate such and such. Awesome. How are you going to do it? We're going to do it by demonizing and hating so and so. That is not this book. That is not the word of God. The word of God looks at you and I and it says that we have a true light that breaks free captives. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how deep you've gone. There is a true light that will set us free. And it is true love from God's word. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Which brings me, I'm already saying it, brings me to my second point, which is this, is we reflect the light. I'm not the true source of light. Only God is the truth. You try to generate truth in yourself, you will drop the ball. I will drop the ball. We get together and we come up, let's try to come up with a, a good philosophy. It will fall short. Or we can accept what is true, even if our culture looks at it and calls it archaic. Even if we look at this truth, and may, may I just say this, if you find a truth that has ever appeased a specific culture completely, 100%, then you can just know it's not true. What, what do you mean by that? Because if true, if truth is actually truth, it will rub somebody the wrong way. No matter what day and age, no matter what culture it is, and what our modern mind will do is if it rubs us the wrong way, we'll go, then it must not be true. It should actually be the opposite. If this rubs you the wrong way, that should be a great, great uh, flag for you to go, oh, it's probably true then. Because I know within me there is no truth. I know within this culture there is no truth. I know based on our own, we're going to come up with facts that are incorrect. But if this word is challenging me, which it will, if this word causes the modern individual to be frustrated, which it will, then we can look and say, Lord, that's probably a sign that your truth is shining in a very dark place. And Lord, what that means is this is right. And all I want to do in my life is reflect it. I don't want to pretend to be the truth. Because then you become self-righteous. Well, let me tell you what I think. Who cares what you think? That's what the world says. Well, let me give you my opinion on that. Who cares about your opinion on that? Who, nobody cares about my opinions. I mean, or if they do, then, then they're going to be worse off. 
The fact of the matter is, we have been given this light, and this is what, this is what John says, starting in chapter 2, verse 3. And hereby, we do know what we know him, if we keep his commandments. He saith, I know him, and he keepeth not his commandments. Watch this. He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. And listen, John, you got to understand this. I love this about John. His literary style is what you call amplification. Now, I'm not just telling you that to bore you or be a professor today. His literary style, when he writes these letters, he jumps around. And as a preacher who's trying to preach out of John, it's a little frustrating. I'm like, John, if you could have just been a little more linear here, I'm trying to preach to my church right now, and you're making it difficult. Amplification is that he'll take topics, he'll pepper them in, and then he'll keep circling back to them. He'll keep circling back to him. And that's what he's doing here. And he even uses hyperbole to make his point. And are you ready for some really tough words that I'm going to clear up? And if you're a Christian and you've read this letter, I hope I'm about to make you feel way better. Because if you read these words tonight and you don't understand what John is saying, you might think you're going to hell. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. So how many has kept his word perfectly in this room? Do not raise your hand. Hereby know we that, are, that we are in him. He that saith he abides in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. How many has walked just like Jesus? Do not raise your hand. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shines. Okay, John, you're talking about the light, you're talking about true. Would you just get to it? What's the commandment? How do we reflect this light, John? Because you said if we walk like him, we, we are in him. And if we fail to keep his word, then we're not in him. And I'm starting to feel like I'm going to hell, John. So he goes on. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abides in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and knows not whither he goes, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You want to know how you shine the light of Jesus? How you reflect it off of your life? You and I have to love one another. I'm not talking about a little gimmicky message or, oh, that's nice, pastor, love one another. We've heard it. No, John says if you truly reflect the light of Jesus, what happens is you become an advocate for the people that are around you. May I say it like this? Maybe the reason you're in that dark place is because you are self-centered. A quick track to a miserable, miserable Christian life is self-centered. Being self-centered. Well, what does this have to do for me? What can, I re- what can I get out of this? No, no, no. That is not the point. The point is to live a life. Man, I want to be careful here 
But I want to remind everybody because here's what I mean by I want to be careful. I want to be careful because I know who I'm preaching to. And this is not a church of 1,200 or 1,500 people where I, I could claim, well, I don't know, you know, God, yes, he was just leading me. There's a, there's a hundred or so people in here. And if I get too personal, some of you are going to go, he, you're talking to me and I'm mad. We need to talk after service, okay? But the fact of the matter, may I just make this disclaimer. I'm not just preaching to the hundred that are in here. I'm preaching to those that might be watching online. I'm preaching to those that might be listening on podcast. And I'm preaching to one as I'm preaching to several. Because you're, as an individual, your issues oftentimes represent many other people and you don't realize it. So that's my disclaimer. But I'm preaching right now to a church that is made up of young adults. Many, many young adults, many single young adults, many young marrieds, many that are considering marriage. May I say to you that I have found that this generation oftentimes finds themselves in a conundrum of feeling like they are not satisfied in their walk with Jesus. And I am starting to see that maybe that is because they have adopted a philosophy that it is their right to find the perfect man or woman. And somehow, if I can just find the perfect man or woman and get married, then I'll be okay. Let me just tell you what you're going to do. You're going to go right into that marriage just as self-centered as you are right now. And then you're going to have somebody with a magnifying glass on your life to say, hey, guess what? You're stinking self-centered. And then you're going to go, six months later, you're going to come in to my office, which I don't even have, but you're going to come into my office, and your eyes are going to be bloodshot, and you're going to go, my God, what am I doing wrong? And I'm going to say, you've been doing, you're doing the same thing wrong that you were doing wrong before you got married. And you expected an individual to be able to actually fix your self-centeredness, but all they did was expose it. And if you're a parent, or if you're not a parent yet, get ready, times 10 with kids. <laughs> Welcome to life, real life. And you'll notice right now, I'm staring into the balconies because there is nobody up there in those balconies. <laughs> I'm preaching to a modern ideology that says if I can just discover myself or if I can just attach to some sort of earthly love, then I'll be complete. Listen to me with all compassion and love. I will tell you, and I've got to go back to this every day of my life because this is not natural. If you think what I'm talking about is natural or second nature, it is not. It is the opposite of our human nature. It is the opposite of our flesh. But John says if you want to Reflect the light of God. Don't live a life that is all about you. Live a life asking, how can I serve? How can I love deeper? How can I reach further? How can I find somebody to show the light of God to through my life? That is how we reflect the light of God when we love one another. There's something deep about true love. There's something deep about true love. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay his life down, not for his son or daughter. Any parent in this room would do that. Not for his husband or wife. Any man in this room would do that. Any woman in this room would probably do that. What about a friend? What about leaving your child father? in order that a friend can be saved? What about leaving your spouse without a husband or wife so that a friend could live? It's selfless love. In this room right now, can I tell you what true love looks like? 
It looks selfless. It looks like somebody who accepts the circumstances that they are in, even if they feel disappointed by God because they thought their life was going to go a specific direction and it has not gone that way. It looks like somebody who's living in circumstances that they never expected to live with. They're living with a health diagnosis. They're living with, uh, with a broken relationship on the other side of it. They're living with somebody who has addiction in their life and continues to draw energy away from them. They're living in a time that they didn't expect, a season they didn't expect to live in. And in the midst of that, there's something within every one of us that wants to become self-centered and say, God, this was... And we have to stop and say, wait, this was never about me anyway. This was always about reflecting your glory. And Lord, if the true light of God, the true love of God in my life is better reflected in a circumstance that I never asked for or never hoped for, I accept it completely and wholly because if you could kneel down in your darkest hour and you could gird yourself with a towel and you could wash your disciples' feet in the midst of their selfishness, in the midst of all that you were going through, I want to be someone who can do the exact same thing in a world of brokenness. Let me minister. In a world of pain, let me minister. In a culture that opposes your word, let me stoop down to where they're at and love them and reflect the light of God. Would you pray with me for a moment? God, in this room, you are speaking truth to each and every one of us. In this series of messages, God, let us take the word. Let us take what you are doing in our church and let it be applied to our lives. Deepen us, God. Let us see your purpose. I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. When you read this tonight or tomorrow, the Bible says, He that sinneth is not of him. I want to clear something up for you. I want to clear it up for me. In the, in the KJV that sinneth, E-T-H, means continues to sin. I don't know about you, but I just need a, oh, a nice deep breath. Because what that means is the individual that continues to go back to the same sin willfully, with a nonchalant attitude, saying, I'm just going to keep doing it. I don't really care what God says. Sinneth. And then says he's of God, that man is a liar. That's the liar. The liar is the one who continues to go back to the same thing over and over again and then come in and just say, I'm of God, nonchalantly. No, that is not a repentant spirit. That man is not of God. That individual is not of God. But the one that tries to keep the commandments of God, not earn the favor of God. Hear me right now. The grace of God cannot be earned, but the grace of God is not opposed to our effort. He wants us to make an effort. Not to earn him, not to make him love us more, but as a byproduct of the true love of God, we begin to make efforts. Hear me right now, husbands, wives, parents, young adults, whoever you are. Maybe you're in a stage of life where you're, you're older 
and you don't have a spouse. Maybe you feel a lack of companionship. Maybe you're living with a sickness or an ailment in your body that causes you to be frustrated. Hear me right now. There's a deeper walk with God. I'm not talking about the carrot and stick. I'm not talking about an elusive spirituality. I am talking about a very tangible, a very real, a very achievable, deep walk with God that is birthed in a place where we lay down our self-centeredness and say, God, your true love was so real and so selfless How could I expect the true love that I can show to be any less? If God's true love looked like Calvary, what do I expect my true love to look like? Doesn't look like bickering. Doesn't look like pointing out the flaws. We talked about this last week. It doesn't look like reaching for the speck in my neighbor's eye while holding a beam in my own eye. It doesn't look like that. No, it looks like looking at the church, my brothers, my sisters, and the culture and the world and saying, if I'm not here to serve, then why am I here? If I'm not here to love, if I'm not here to embrace somebody that smells like alcohol, if I'm not here to embrace somebody that's dealing with addiction, if I'm not here to open the doors one more time for somebody who's dealing with the same thing, then why am I here? I'm not here to look at the world and pronounce judgment on them. There's a judge that is coming, and the Bible says that he is going to judge them with what? His word. His word. That's God. He does the judging. I'm here to reflect the light of God and show what true love really is. I want that. I want that. I want that. Rob, when you go and you lead that life group, that choir group at Mon Christian Gifts once a month on Tuesday nights, here's what we hope. We hope that people that don't look like this, that don't look like me, we hope they're singing the praises of Jesus. When you life group leaders open up your homes and people come in from all different walks of life and different points in their following of Jesus, Can I just say to you that make sure that you have a heart of compassion and love for every single one of them. When they come out of the baptistry, baptized in his name for the remission of their sins. And the first or second or third or fourth word out of their mouth is a cuss word. We know we're doing something right. Bleep, yeah, that was the best thing I've ever done. They've got growth. But they felt true love. Today, true love is calling all of us to reflect true love in this world. There's a light that is shining in. If you have your Bibles, we can read it together. Proverbs 8. If you read the whole chapter, can I just say this? This will be where I end today. The reason I end here is because true love, we talked about it as light, as truth. Proverbs 8 talks about wisdom. Wisdom is truth. And when Solomon writes this, he refers to truth as a woman. It's a woman to be pursued. My wife's walking somewhere around here. I was looking for her. I'll tell you what. I love Whitley. I'm going to tell you. I love that woman. Lord, have mercy. Even when we argue and we get frustrated, frustrated, 
And I've made up in my mind, I'm going to be an old man. And I'm still going to be pursuing my wife. Because I love that woman. And just hold that right there, Jordan, because I, I want to show this, this card. Anybody know what this card is and when I'm going to give it to her? Let me just read it to you. I kind of, I didn't write this. It's a little rhymy, but my beautiful wife, love of my life. Thank you for being the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. Happy Valentine's Day. Mm, that's going to be a great, great card. And I'm going to write some handwritten note in it. And I'm going to put hearts, X's, and O's. Because I'm never going to stop pursuing. In fact, can I just tell you this? This past week, we celebrated Valentine's Day early and went out on a date. Me and my wife. Is she back there yet? There she is. I've been talking about you, girl. And we had this Instagram idea, Jordan. Sometimes Whitley said, okay, there's an Instagram idea. We went to Walmart, and, and here's what we did. We had 20 minutes. We had to buy for each other. Both of us had a budget, which we busted. Something red, something that starts with L-O-V-E, something that we can do together, our, our partner's spouse's favorite snack, and what was the one more? Was there one more? Something for the senses. Ooh. And so we were busting through Walmart on Friday night. We were buying different stuff for each other because we wanted to pursue each other. Because I think that woman right there is worth pursuing. I think she's worth, I think she's worth a, a lifetime of pursuit. When you get to Proverbs chapter 8, it gives us another woman that's worth pursuing. Love is in the air. Let me tell you who you need to be pursuing. The woman that you really need to be pursuing besides your wife this week is this woman right here. Wisdom. Truth. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where paths meet, she takes her stand. Mm, she's a good looking woman. Beside the gate leading into the city at the entry, entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O oh people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. She's saying, I'm going to shine a light in that foolishness of your life. I'm going to shine a light in the dark places. Let's jump to the last part of the verse. This is what it says in the last part of chapter 8. But those who fail to find me, that woman... That truth, that light, they harm themselves. All who hate me love death. All who hate me love death. If you don't love the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of the light of God, it will lead to brokenness and pain and hurt. But I have a question for you. This week, I'm going to be writing a handwritten letter to my or a special note to the most beautiful woman in my life. And I'm going to be telling her, I'm looking forward to a future with you. I'm looking forward to cultivating continued memories together. I can't wait to live life next to you. And that's honorable and that's good as a husband. But this week, you think maybe you could write a letter, maybe on your heart, 
maybe a real one, maybe in a journal, I don't know. But if you were to write a letter to this woman called Truth, what would you say? Because I'm telling you, truth is worth the pursuit. Would you say, I need more of you. I need you to shine in the dark parts of my life. What am I talking about today? What I'm talking about in this room right now is that there is a deeper walk with God for every individual that is going to be birthed through the true light of God shining deeply in your life, in the shadow places, in the places where you feel like have been off limits, where you become more and more self-aware, where God begins to speak His truth. And you, in those places, what you'll find is that what you thought was going to be judgment and condemnation actually is the opposite. When God shines his light in those dark places, all of a sudden you're set free. All of a sudden what you thought was going to be nothing but pain and shame and condemnation, all of a sudden when it gets out and God's light shines on it, you go, I'm not dealing with that heaviness and that weight anymore. When I laid my life down and oh is there not a more beautiful depiction of this than Calvary itself where he lays down his life that we might be free, where he takes our darkness, where he takes our brokenness and he lays it on himself. Why? That we might walk in freedom, that we might walk in peace, that we might walk in joy, that we might walk in life. And it all comes from the truth of God's word that has shined upon us in this room right now. Would you stand to your feet? I feel the Holy Ghost speaking. I feel the presence of God in this room right now. Pray with me. Jesus, over this room, we speak your word. We speak your light. We speak your truth. We pray, God, over every life. We pray that, God, you would break the chains of darkness, the chains of sin, the chains of old thinking off of us so that we can walk in the light. God, as we pursue your truth this this February. Over the next few weeks, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would walk in the light, God. Let us be children of the light, God. Let it be that we reflect you in every area to every person, every individual. God, I pray that we would be a church where people can find true freedom. In the name of Jesus, I speak it and I believe it, God. Today as we leave this room. We are leaving here. We're going to sign up for groups because God in community is where we find that true life. In community is where we find God, that true self-awareness. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that as we pursue you, God, we would find freedom in the name of Jesus.